We want to welcome you guys. We're so excited to see your new faces. You don't have to raise your hand. We'll just embarrass you later. It's okay. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm, I'm actually, this is the first time I'm preaching for this semester, and I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a different kind of sermon because I feel like um, as I got to know you SNU students more and more, a lot of you are already familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with church, you're familiar with Christianity, you're familiar with the Jesus story, you're familiar with all the things I'm about to say, and I was I was praying and I felt like the Father was like, um, there's so much more that I want to reveal to SNU. There's so much more, and one analogy that um, I love is, you know, if you guys have ever raked leaves, have you guys ever raked leaves? In America, when we have like a lot of, you know, like backyards and like trees in our yard, what happens in the fall is the leaves fall, and one of the chores that we have to do often is we take a rake and we, we rake up the leaves, right? But the rake, it only gathers a pile of leaves on the surface of things. But you're not ever really going deeper into the ground, right? And I feel like as believers, many of us are just raking leaves. We're just raking the surface of Christianity, the surface of this relationship with Jesus, the surface of his love, of what the cross means, just raking the surface. And we spend most of our lives raking the surface, and no one really stops us asks us hard questions, we never get awakened that there is so much more, and there is so much beneath the surface that we've never accessed. And what happens is when many believers move out of their houses, move into college, they they don't have their parents dragging them to church anymore, keeping them out of trouble, and they just think, man, I did this Christian thing for 18 years now, and it never got any more exciting, it never got any more alive, I don't really see how this could really be all it's cracked up to be. I'm just going to walk away from the church. I'm going to walk away from this Christianity thing. And you know what? There's so many more exciting things to do. So I'm just going to check out, right? Or many believers, they'll come to church. They'll come to a Mace large group. They'll come to their Bible studies even. They'll, on the outside, they're faithfully attending. But on the inside, their minds and their hearts are just checked out. They're completely not there. There's a body, but it's completely dead inside. Like a, you know? Because when they go, it's like, oh, I've, all, I've heard it all before. I went up to the altar calls. I got reborn, I got reborn again, saved at every youth retreat, growing up forever. So nothing is ever going to be different. I already know everything there is to know about this Christian thing. And so when I was preparing my message, I felt God's heart that I just want to do it completely different tonight, okay? And so I'm going to start off um, by talking about Shakespeare. Tonight we're going to talk about Shakespeare. Who here has ever heard of Shakespeare? Raise your hand if you know my man Shakespeare. Oh my goodness, most of you, except for Eddie, okay, who grew up in Germany. I don't know what, why you don't know about Shakespeare, Eddie, okay? Um, all right, so Shakespeare... Um, this is kind of funny to me because Bora, she's one of our student leaders. Bora, raise your hand. Hey, Bora. Okay. She's taking English literature this semester, and she had this big book, and she's like, oh, I have to take English lit, and there's so much reading, and I was just like, who are you going to be reading this semester? I'm, I'm a big nerd, especially about literature, and, and she's like, oh, like all these authors, and I was like, oh my gosh, I hope she gets to read about Shakespeare. I'm so excited for her. She didn't share my enthusiasm, but maybe after the sermon, 
she's gonna she's gonna be awakened to the glory of Shakespeare. Uh, maybe not. So, <laughs> so as many of you guys know, Shakespeare is an English poet. He was a playwriter, um, and he was just a regular writer in the 1600s, so in the 17th century. And he wrote a plethora of mushy love sonnets. Uh, my favorite is Sonnet 116. You guys can look it up later. Um, he also wrote a lot of famous plays. You guys have probably heard of Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, maybe Othello. Uh, these are famous plays, and they survived the, the test of time. And so many of us have to read him in school, and we go to his plays or whatever. They make movies out of them, so if we haven't read them, we can watch them on a movie. Um, but learning Shakespeare was mandatory in my English classes in high school. So. Um, in fact, I was an AP English, okay, because I was a big nerd from a young age, and I actually had, in my AP English classes, I not only had to read Shakespeare, but I had to memorize verbatim, word for word, some of big chunks of the plays, and I had to recite them to my teacher, right, in old English, so not even in a modern translation, and um, I didn't really mind doing this, though, because I really liked, on the inside, I really liked it, you know, I'm really excited. Um, the reason I liked Shakespeare is because, you know, it's not like he's the most wholesome author, um, nor are his his works, like, enlightening, and usually they don't end on a happy note. But the reason I liked Shakespeare was because um, it's just full of the complexities of human life, human psychology, of love, of politics, of power. It's like humanity is, like, wrapped up in Shakespeare, and he's a genius at understanding the human mind and the human heart, right? And he can, he can just weave masterful stories that I get really wrapped up in. So... Uh, though I read a lot of Shakespeare in high school, I remember Hamlet being one of the plays that really stood out to me. Who here has ever heard of Hamlet? Hamlet, okay? Hamlet. If you haven't, that's okay, because we're going to talk about it tonight, all right? So, um, basically, I'm going to sum up what happens in this 17th century play, Hamlet, all right? Who here, like, um, read Hamlet? Raise your hand if you read Hamlet. Okay, who here has watched the play or a movie of Hamlet? This is going to be an exciting new thing for you, okay? All right, so I'm going to sum up what happens, and I'm, even though a lot of you haven't read it, I'm not concerned with spoiling it for you. It's been around for 400 years. If you haven't read it by now, it's your own fault, okay? So I'm just going to go for it. So basically what happens in Hamlet is, it's, it, the setting is Denmark, and there's this young prince named Yes, okay, good, you're following me. His name is Hamlet, and his father was recently murdered, okay? And Hamlet is grieving the loss of his father, but while his father, um, while they're, they're still mourning his father, his mom quickly gets remarried to, does anyone know? His mom gets remarried to his uncle, okay? So Hamlet's father, the king, dies, and his brother marries the wife of the king, right? Soon after, they're married. And then that means Hamlet's uncle is now the new king and his new daddy, all right? And so, one night, Hamlet is walking around, and Hamlet sees the ghost of his dead father. And it's really scary. And the, the ghost of Hamlet's dead father, the king, says, Hamlet, Claudius, my brother, killed me, and I want you to avenge my death, okay? 
And so Hamlet sees a ghost. He's freaked out. He's like speechless. If you saw a ghost, you would do the same thing. He can't talk to anybody. And then he's like, oh my gosh, did I really see it? Did I not see it? Is this ghost real? Uh, I can't just go killing people just because I see something. But I know it must be real. And I know my uncle's like a sleazy man. Anyway, he's married to my mom. And so he's just conflicted inside, right? But he knows I have to avenge my father's death. I'm going to kill my uncle Claudius, the new king. And so, um, basically, um, as he sets out to do this, a lot of complications get in the way. The first biggest complication is Hamlet, within Hamlet himself. You see, he's a big thinker. So he wants to act, but when he should act, he pauses and he overthinks, and he thinks himself out of it. And sometimes he should stop and think, but he acts impulsively and just makes really stupid decisions, right? He thinks when he should act, and he acts when he should think. And then what happens is um, he was talking to his mother one night, and there was someone hiding behind the curtain, and he thinks... This is my uncle, and this is my chance. I'm going to kill him. So without seeing who's behind the curtain, he thrusts his sword into the curtain, and the man dies, okay? But he finds out that the man is not his, his uncle. The man is the father of the woman that he loves, okay? So he, Hamlet, <laughs> Hamlet is courting this, this, um, uh, this beautiful woman named Ophelia. He says, Softy now, ye fair Ophelia. Okay, he loves her. He's courting her. And he kills her father on accident. Okay, those are one of the moments when Hamlet should stop and think, but he acts instead, right? And then what happens is Ophelia, the woman he wants to marry, is so heartbroken about the loss of her father that she jumps into a river and commits suicide. And her brother, her, her brother's name is Laertes, the, the son of this this man that Hamlet killed. Laertes, he's studying abroad, and he comes home, and he has the same quest as Hamlet now. The quest is, I'm going to avenge my father's death. Who killed his father? Hamlet. Hamlet's trying to avenge his own father's death. Laertes is trying to avenge his father's death. But Laertes is put in the story to contrast against Hamlet's character. Okay? This is like a literature class. So Laertes is a man who acts. He has said it in his mind, and he doesn't question it. He does it, right? So what happens is they get in a fight, and then there's poison blades and a poison goblet, poison everything. And then um, Hamlet is able to kill his, his, his new stepdad, his uncle, before he himself is killed and before he kills Laertes. Everybody, like in most of Hamlet's plays, if you've read them or, or seen them, they all die in a big, horrible death together, okay? Every one of the characters dies, and they all say these epic last lines <laughs> before they die, okay? And so that's what happens in, in Hamlet. Everybody dies in the end, okay? And um, I, I think if you guys haven't heard of Hamlet, you've at least heard the, the famous soliloquy, right, where he's holding a skull, and he's like, to be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, and by opposing, okay, I could go on, but I'm going to stop, you guys think I'm weird enough already, all right, so, um, there was one part, though, in this story, um, that really stood out to me as a high schooler, as a junior, senior in high school, whatever, and um, there's part of the story before all this crazy stuff starts happening and people start killing each other. Um, 
And before all of this was exposed, everyone was at peace and everything was fine, everything was tranquil, right? Hamlet was courting Ophelia and writing her beautiful love letters. Um, uh, Hamlet was also hanging out with his friends from childhood, having a good time. Everything was at peace. Laertes was getting fatherly advice from his father before he goes to study abroad. Everyone loves each other. Everything's happy. And at that moment, when everything was good and everyone was at peace, Ophelia or Ophelia's father, I can't remember who said it, they said this line that really stood out to me, okay? They said, we know what we are, but not what we may be, okay? We know what we are, but not what we may be. Everyone repeat that line. We know what we are, but not what we may be. Do it a little bit more excited this time. <laughs> do it, do it like you are in one of Shakespeare's plays, okay? Get into it, get into it. I'm going to call someone out on the stage and do it. I don't, I don't hear the exuberance. Okay, ready, set? We know what we are, but not what we may be, okay? Good, good. You guys sound awesome. All right. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you know what you are but not what you will become, okay? You know what you are, but not what you will become. Thank you. Oh, yeah, nice. That's a word of encouragement today, okay? I remember reading that in my AP English class, and something deep inside me awakened um, when I heard that line, we know what we are, but not what we may be. Okay, you guys are never going to forget that line. You see, um, this line in Hamlet, it stood out to me so much because at the time, I read it in high school, um, my life was full of a lot of impossibilities and a lot of tragedy. Okay? But they weren't just made-up tragedies of a Shakespearean play. Um, those of you who've been around for a while have heard my story, and at the time I read Hamlet, I knew very clearly what I was and what life was, okay? It was all very evident to me what I am and what my life is. And I'm going to share, when I preach the first time, I like to share part of my story because as I get to know you guys and spend time with you, I'm never going to expect you to be vulnerable with me and share and open up to me without me first doing that. Okay, And so the reason I can share in freedom and not be ashamed is because I want to communicate to you that God sets free. And what happened in my past isn't something that chains me or, or makes me feel ashamed anymore or guilty because I've been set free because of Jesus. All right, And so um, I knew what I was. Okay, At the time I read Hamlet and read this line, I was the daughter of an alcoholic abusive and unfaithful father. I was promiscuous and I couldn't ever get enough attention from boys. I was a fake Christian who felt way more alive getting wasted and high than I did at the church pew on Sundays. I was on the honor roll in the National Honor Society and captain of my cheer squad. Okay, But I had uh, consistent thoughts of suicide and self-hatred every single day, flooding my mind. I was the mixed half-Asian kid in an all-white and very racist community. And the color of my skin and the shape of my eyes weren't the only thing that made me feel like I didn't belong there. 
more than my outer appearance, more than people always coming up to me, growing up saying, what's wrong with your eyes? Why aren't they like ours? Okay, more than anything on the outside, what I felt on the inside um, spoke to me even more that I didn't belong. I was full of so much fear and so many insecurities. Um, I felt like I was always on the outside looking into something I could never have. I felt like I was, I think the best way to explain it was I felt like I was a shape that never really fit well anywhere. Okay? And I felt like I was a mistake. I felt like in the deepest parts of me, I could never be loved or accepted or belong. And in Hamlet, when I read that in my English class, we know what we are, but not what we may be, that line was used to foreshadow death and darkness and destruction in those characters. That line was spoken when this royal and happy family, everything was perfect, and it foreshadowed you guys are all going to be full of anger and darkness at the end. They didn't know that they were going to become people full of rage and anger, right? But to me, it foreshadowed something completely opposite. To me, in my story, it foreshadowed hope. I know what I am, but not what I will become. I know what life is now, but not what it could be. It was like a flicker and foreshadowing of hope in the darkness of what I had known life to be. I knew what my family was. I knew the fear, the masks, the lies, the rejection, the voices of despair. But the second part of this line says, but not what we may be. We know what we are, but not what we may be. And it ignited hope inside me. And that little spark of hope ignited dreams of what life could be. And this picture of what life could be, it gave me vision. And this vision gave me drive and determination. And this, this drive, it caused me to act differently and think differently than I ever had before. And you see, I believe that God used something as simple as a required reading for my English class to change the trajectory of my life forever. We know what we are, but not what we may be. And as I minister and shepherd student after student, semester after semester, um, I find myself thinking about this line often because that was my life back then, right? I was an amazed student, and I am sitting, I was sitting in your own seats at one point when God radically changed my life, and I began to walk with him. And I began to walk out that I know what I'm going to become, right? And as I minister, though, and as I do this full time, I, I think about this line so much because... Um, I feel like students are so trapped and stuck in what they see of themselves, of the world around them, right? And the devil and the world has painted this picture of, of, of our identities and our limitations and our prison cells and our family and our situation and our circumstances. And we think, I know what I am. We know what we are, period. We know the darkness that's out there, we know the despair, we know the hopelessness, we know it, the end, okay? And I hear this sense of doubt that, that and futility that nothing is ever going to change. They can't change, the situation can't change, their family can't change, their grades can't change, their future can't change, everything is just stuck the way it is. I know what I am. I know what the world is, okay? 
It's like this overwhelming sense of impossibility that the world is just stuck the way it is. And I'm never going to overcome these insecurities or fears inside me. Um, and, and what happens when we get that sense of hopelessness is we just want to give up. I just want to step out of this Christian thing. I want to step out of this relationship thing, out of this community thing, out of even hoping. Because what's the point in hoping when things are never going to change? I know who I am. I know what I'm like. I'm stuck in my ways. Nothing will ever be the same. I know what Christianity is like. I know what Jesus is like. I know what reading the Bible is like. I know what attending large group is like. I know what going to church is like. Right? And it's just a period when there is no period there in the Shakespearean line. Okay? Inside, when students tell me this and I hear this sense of doubt, I'm just screaming in my heart, you have no idea. You have no idea who you really are, who God created you to be. You have no idea who you were meant to become. You have no idea what this life could look like for you. You have no idea the depths of joy, the profound depths of happiness and joy and love that you were created to experience, the sense of meaning and purpose that God has created you to experience in your life every single day. You have no idea. You see, we know what we are, but not what we may become. Okay? And that's my job description. That is the job description of the staff you see here. It's the reason why um, we give up all our free time and sometimes sleep and everything else. It's the reason why I stopped working and I do this full time. It's because I believe that God wants to awaken young people to who they really are. To the second part of that line, we don't know what we're going to become. We have no idea what God has in store, but it is something so great and so big. You see, God wants to awaken us to a hope that does not disappoint and to a destiny that we could have never imagined, okay? But there's one thing that differs in the life of believers than in this Shakespearean line, we know what we are, but not what we may be, okay? And the difference is, anyone can agree with this statement, okay? Anyone can look at that and say, wow, I can grow as a human being, I can develop better thought life, and I can make a better life for myself, okay? But that's not the message of the gospel, and that's not what I'm preaching tonight. For those in Christ, Jesus takes it to a whole new level, okay? You see, over five years ago, when I encountered the reality of the gospel, I grew up in church my whole life in a very nice Methodist church. I sat in the pew every Sunday, went through confirmation, every Sunday school class, those youth group retreats. I went on mission trips. And I would say I said the prayer, the sinner's prayer, when I was seven. Um, But there was never a moment when Jesus became the Lord of my life. And there was never a moment when the gospel was real to me and when I would say, I loved God with all my heart and I wanted to follow him, right? Until I was in college and came to Emmaus. That was a little over five years ago, okay, in 2008. And when I encountered God during my Emmaus semester, this line of Shakespeare didn't cut it anymore. Because as I began to read through this book right here, the one that I had read my whole life but didn't really change me, um, I began to search God's heart, okay? And I began to ask God to pour out his spirit in me. And I began to ask him for revelation about who he was, about his heart for me. And um, I realized that as a daughter of God, 
I do know what I'm going to become. I do know the end of this story. I do know because he's revealed it to us in this word. Okay? You know what? Tonight, it's my hope that we can just shatter every box of Christianity that we've created over our lives. Even amazed students and new Philly attendees, even the box of that, okay? Pray in tongues and raise your hands during certain parts of worship and then turn them upside down to receive later. No, okay? We're not into behavior modification or learning set routines of what to do. It's not about disconnecting our heart and our mind and routine. It's about a relationship with someone that's alive, okay, who's supposed to change our lives. And so every box, every limitation, everything that you thought Christianity was going to be, I feel like God wants to renew and restore and awaken inside you, okay? Um, this Christianity thing is not just a bunch of mental concepts that you adhere to. It's not just a checklist of how to be a better person. It's not a self-help program, okay? It's none of those things. It's about a real and eternal exchange, okay? An exchange and restoration of something that was lost and dead and then was found and came alive again. And that's not a one-time thing. Every single day, we're meant to encounter this Jesus, and our lives are meant to change. Okay? You see, this man, Jesus, he's the one that makes this line in Shakespeare incomplete. We know what we are, but not what we may be doesn't work anymore, because the cross secures permanently and eternally what we're going to become. So I want everyone to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 12. Some of you guys were going to wonder, is she going to open up the Bible? But just keep reading Shakespeare. Hey, hey, that's okay. I just want to share some stories with you guys tonight and make what we've heard our whole lives real, fresh, okay? All right, if you're there, please say amen. 2 Corinthians, starting um, with chapter 3, verse 12. Okay? All right, I'm going to read from the NIV, and I want you guys to read along with me. Okay? One, two, three, let's start. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. You see, when the Holy Spirit came into me, he revealed what the cross really meant. Okay? He revealed what the cross really meant. And you know what, guys? It, it's not about good evangelism strategy. It's not about forcing yourself to get truth. It's not about striving. You can only come to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's only by the revelation of the Spirit that Jesus is made known. 
Okay? That's why I could grow up in church my whole life and not encounter the gospel. That's why I can go to all those retreats and not really encounter Jesus, okay? Because I was adhering to a religious system and a checklist of to-dos and not-dos, but I was not on a search for what is true. And I wasn't asking, God, I really want to encounter this man, Jesus, okay? And so when the Holy Spirit came to me, he revealed what Jesus, what the cross really meant. And it meant that God himself... The creator of the universe and the sustainer of all life put on flesh and came and dwelt among us. Okay? And I know that we've all heard that, but just think about it one more time with me. Okay? He died a death that I deserved, and he took death and destruction and sin and separation and rejection and darkness on himself. All of it. All of it, from all time, he took it on himself. Then he defeated death. He defeated death. Came to life. And he said, if you turn to me, you will find eternal life. If you turn to me, you will find life and find it to the full. You see, I didn't know that I was dying until Jesus showed me life. I didn't know how dead I had become until I had tasted true life in Jesus Christ. And when I returned to my university after my one semester in Emmaus, um, the friends I used to party with and the friends I used to hang out with who were very, very depressed all the time and negative, they would say, you know, Rona, you don't ever have any fun anymore. You never go out. You never drink. You never party with us. This Christian thing looks so hard. You're sacrificing so much. Um, You never get to have any fun anymore. You are laying down all the fun things. It must be such a sacrifice, right? And I would just shake my head. And I would, I just didn't know how to express it to them, okay? I didn't know how I could express it to them, how I could explain it to them that um, it's really no sacrifice. It's really no sacrifice. Anything that I could ever lay down is no sacrifice. And the reason is, it's because it's like, it's like if you want your whole life a zombie, and then one moment someone put life into you, you realize, I wasn't living until this moment, right? It's like someone saying, isn't it such a sacrifice to breathe air? Like, you have to expend so much energy inhaling and exhaling, right? And, and you're like, heck no, like, if I don't breathe air, I'm going to die, okay? And I was trying to explain it to them. Without this Jesus in my life now, I'm as good as dead. I can't do this life thing anymore without him. And that's what Christianity is, okay? It's not the striving, oh, uh, how far can I go um, without sinning? And, like, how can I be a good student? And, like, um, I want to make sure I read my Bible every day for an hour and pray, or I'm, like, a bad Christian. No, okay? Your life with Christ is like breathing. Without him, we perish. There's only one way to true and eternal life, and that is in Christ Jesus. And when we step into relationship with Jesus, when he becomes the Lord of our lives, the Shakespearean line changes from we know what we are, but not what we may be, to we know what we are now, but we also know what we are becoming. We know what it is, what's in store for us. We know what our future holds. We know that every day 
it's increasing glory. The passage we just read says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. With ever-increasing glory. We know what the future holds in Christ. It's glory. Okay? Every day is increasing glory. We know we are being changed into the likeness and the image of God himself. What we are becoming and the promises of God are not things that we've earned because we're good little Christian boys and girls. It's not things that we can work for or ever deserve from our own merit. It's all an effect of what we've received through the free gift of Jesus. It's the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And that is what redemption is. It's the exchange of a life of sin and tragedy and darkness and futility and hopelessness. The I know what I am, period, kind of life to a life that is perfect and glory-filled. We exchange our broken and futile lives for the life of Christ. That's pretty crazy. It's when Jesus took something cursed and broken and lifeless and cleared all debt. As believers, we know what we are now, and we also know what we're going to become, and it's glorious. If this is true, though, if this verse is true, if this passage is true, and we are changing into the likeness of God, ever-increasing glory, right, changed into his likeness, if the gospel truth that we grew up with is true, then why are so many believers and so many of us stuck in our insecurities and fears? Why is it that this Bible and what it promises is so distant and separated from the life that we live day to day? Why is it such a struggle? Why is it hard? Why do we have those feelings of hopelessness and futility day by day? All we think is, I know what I am. I know how I am. I know what life is like, and nothing can ever change me. Nothing will ever change me or anything around me. I'm going to be like this forever, and life is always going to be like this. Okay? At the end and the root of every counseling session I have with students, every time I sit down with them, that's pretty much the root of what they're saying. It's futility, it's hopelessness, and it's this doubt that anything will ever change in my life, okay? And can I tell you that no matter what situation you're facing and no matter what fear you're carrying, what burden or doubt that you have weighing you down, it is nothing compared to the power of the cross. It's not that the the cross is found empty and useless and ineffective. It's that we forgot what it was. We forgot what happened. We forgot to access the life that is accessible to us. The Word of God says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us, okay? The same power that raised him from the dead is inside of every single believer. And I want to turn now to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, starting with verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 17. All right, let's start reading together. One, two, three. 
So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow. Okay. Why is this so inaccessible to us? Why is that life, that life of victory, that life of hope, of destiny, the promises of God in this book so distant from us? This passage explains it to us very clearly. The futility of their thinking caused by the hardness of their hearts. Futility of their thinking caused by the hardness of our hearts. The hardness of our hearts separates us from the life of God. The life, the life of freedom, the life that Christ bought for us through his death on the cross, the hardness of heart keeps us from accessing that life into our own life. The word says we shouldn't live any longer in the futility of our thinking. You know what futility is. Futility is thinking that our circumstances or our problems or whatever it is, it's never going to change, so just give up. Just give in to hopelessness and despair and doubt. There's nothing's ever going to change. I can't change, so what's the point? It's letting doubt and fear harden our hearts. Okay? The result is that you start looking for life in other things. It says in this passage, they started giving themselves over to find life because the human being was created to find eternal life. We were created to tap into something other than ourselves, find meaning and purpose in something. And so if we're not finding it in the place of truth, in the place of God's kingdom, in the place of relationship with Jesus, we're going to go searching until we find that source of life, right? But the word of God encourages us to put off our old self. And I want you guys to... That sounds so like, what does that mean? Like I'm, like, I'm Eddie, so I need to take off Eddie, and then I need to put on a new Eddie. Like, you know, it's hard to envision. So just envision, like, a pair of clothes, okay? The old self, pair of clothes, take it off, okay? And put on the new self, okay? We think, oh, I'm saved. Jesus is in my heart. Why isn't everything easy? Why isn't everything coming into place? Why are there trials? Why is it still difficult? It's not like things just change immediately. It's about putting on the new self over and over and over, learning what is accessible to us in the new self and putting it on. One of the best analogies that I heard was at a baggage claim, right, in an airport. And um, whenever we travel, which many of us have because we flew into Korea, we see the baggage claim and we see our luggage going around the carousel over and over and over again, right? And what some of those bags could be, oh, hey, there's eternal life. Hey, there's victory. Hey, there's freedom. Hey, there's confidence. Hey, there's uh, supernatural joy. Hey, there's signs and wonders. 
There's all the promises given in this book. There's what my familiar leader and my disciple was telling me about. Yeah, I have all those things in Christ. Amen. Okay? And it's just watching those bags, those promises go around and around and around. And it doesn't matter if it's yours. It doesn't matter if you see it and you know it. What matters is if you go, you get it, and you claim it as your own. You open up those bags and you begin to say, this is mine. This is mine. This new self is mine. These promises are mine. Those bags are mine, right? It's not just about knowing what we have, but it's about taking it as our own. That old self, the Word of God says, put it off. Take it off. Those old thoughts, those old habits, those old doubts, those old insecurities, the Word says, put it off. In Christ, you have access to a new life, a new self. And how do we put it on? It says here to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That sounds great, but how can I claim those things? How can I put on those things, right? It says in the word, you have to be made new in the attitude of your minds, okay? Put on the new self by being made new in the attitude of your minds. Where does it all start, guys? It starts with our minds. It starts with what we're allowing ourselves to think. It starts with what we're allowing to dwell, the thoughts that we're allowing to dwell in our mind, right? So if you've been feeling this futility and this hardness of heart, or hopelessness in your current situation, what I want to do now is give you three practical and kind of funny ways that you can be made new in the attitude of your minds, okay? And this is key to putting on your new self. And tonight, guys, I told you I'm going to do things a little differently. So if some of this stuff seems a little absurd to you, or offensive to you, or, or whatever to you, I just want you to look at that offense and hop on over it, okay? Because what I believe God wants to do tonight is he wants to say there's more. Stop putting me in a box. There is more to me. If you're bored with Christianity, it's not God's fault. Okay? He's the most exciting person there is. And so we have to figure out what's going on in us. And so these three practical tips may just awaken or stir something in you. And if it's offense, good. At least you're feeling something in here. Okay? Because whoever said that when you come to church, you should turn off your mind and check out, that you should turn off your heart and check out, they're the devil, okay? Because the place and the presence of God is the place of life. The only place where there's fullness of life. So if you're offended, good. Feel something in here, okay? Feel something in here, okay? So number one, the key to being made new in the attitude of our minds, to putting on this new self, number one, fight the urge to escape difficulties. Get used to being uncomfortable. Fight the urge to escape difficulties. Get used to being uncomfortable. Number one, fight the urge to being, what did I say? Thank you guys. Fight the urge, okay, to escape difficulties. Get used to being uncomfortable. You know, um, in James 1 through 2, it says, Consider it pure joy. Everyone say pure joy. 
my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Everyone say mature and complete. Not lacking anything. When you face trials of many kind, kinds, consider it pure joy. Okay? Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and it must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay? The natural human response to trials, difficult situations, adversity is... I want to avoid it at all costs. I want to avoid it. I want to avoid it. I want to avoid it at all costs. I don't want to be uncomfortable. We do so much to avoid stress, pain, okay, difficult situations. We do so much to preserve the life of self. I got to take care of myself. I got to make sure I have a comfortable and safe and an easy life day to day. That is number one priority, okay? It's to make sure we're comfortable and taken care of. So we shy away from confrontation, from stepping out in faith, from dealing with different parts of our character that we know are, is not very good. We just like to turn on the TV and bury it and become numb instead of dealing with things, right? But I can tell you that if we make it a, if we make it a point to avoid trials and pains, we're also going to be numbing ourselves to the greatest victories and joys that God has for us. Is there a mountain in front of you? Is there an obstacle or impossibility in front of you? Don't just avoid it or give up before you even start. The God of the universe is on your side, so go straight for it. Run hard toward that trial, toward that difficulty, toward that mountain, okay? I recently went on a camping trip over Chusak Break. And I was going with a group of people that are intense hikers. And I'm like, I would say average physical fitness. I run, I, I rock climb, I like do physical things occasionally, but I'm like average, okay? And, and like when I hike, I go at a pretty steady pace, like step, step, breathe, water, break, okay? And then most of us, okay, I love hiking, I love being out in nature, but... Um, that's my pace. And then the, the group of people that are organizing the camping trip, they basically go hiking maybe four or five times a week, and they run up the mountain, run up the mountain, and then they run back down, okay? And um, as they're planning the trip, uh, we, there's this big Facebook group, and they're like, okay, we have three options. Option one, we arrive at 1 a.m., we set up tents. Then at 3 a.m., we depart for the first hike so that we can catch the sunrise at peak number one at 5 a.m., catch sunrise, then go to next peak, hike for 13 hours, return, sleep, wake up at 3 a.m. And then I was like, three hours of this? Or three days of this, waking up at 3, hiking for 13 hours. That was easy option, okay? Next option, hike 17 hours, five different peaks in one day, okay? And then I was just like, okay, hey guys, so <laughs> um, I, I go camping in Arkansas, but we pretty much just sit around a fire and tell stories, and, um, <laughs> and um, I think that I'm going to have to pass on this one. Um, I was so intimidated and scared, like, I, I love doing new things, I love challenges, but um, 
I thought I was, I, if I go, I would die. Like, I literally thought, I will not make it. And what are they going to do? Like, I'm not going to be able to move my legs. I'm going to die on a mountain. I don't think I'm going to go, okay? And so um, I was like, hey, I'm going to back out. You didn't buy tickets yet, so um, it's okay. But isn't that how believers feel about so many things in life, right? Oh, there's a new challenge. Oh, there's that new opportunity. Oh, there's that big thing in front of me. But before I even try, it's going to be way too hard. It's going to be way too difficult. I don't believe in myself. I don't think I have what it takes. Ah, it's just impossible. So before I even start, I'm just going to back out, right? And the thing about difficulties and trials is that God is putting them there as a setup, okay? He is setting us up to discover that by his spirit working in us, we are capable of things we never thought possible. By the power of his spirit, by the power of the grace that is accessible to us, he is giving us an opportunity to conquer every mountain in our lives. But like me, many of us never get to encounter that victory, never get to see the strength of God in us, never get to access that grace, that empowering grace, never get to experience the miracle, because before we even lace up our boots, the mountain scares us, and we'd rather not try, right? And then, luckily, a brother from New Philly named Chris Prasad, he's a big, big man from Fiji, and he said, sister, are you going to believe the reports of the spies who went into the promised land and said there were too many giants to go in who said we are going to be squashed before we even possess the promise or are you going to be like Caleb and Joshua who brought a good report back are you going to give up before you even try or are you going to step out in faith because I believe you can do it and then I said yeah I'm going to do it I can do it okay I'm not and then I went, okay? And we didn't end up doing the intense hikes. We ended up doing um, five-hour hike up, three-hour down, and then we hiked some waterfalls. Much less intense. It was still very hard. But the thing is, those three days were some of the most amazing I'd had in a long time. I had so much fun. I got to be out in nature. I got to hear, we sat around the campfire telling stories. I laughed so hard. I connected with some amazing people. I got to see some of the most beautiful places in Korea. I got to wash my hair in waterfalls three times and then swim in Russian streams, okay? But I realized, man, if I would have just let my fear and my doubt and my insecurity about what I'm capable of keep me from this trip, I would have missed all that fun. I would have missed all that fun. And this, this trip was like a gift from God to me. It's been really busy. It was exactly what I needed. I felt so refreshed from it, right? And um, if I just tried to avoid being uncomfortable, I would have missed out on so much, right? You see, God has position trials, difficulties, and mountains in our life to make us stronger, to make us more mature, more complete, and to produce a faith in us that is pure and refined like gold. Okay? And the next way I want to talk about um, getting uncomfortable is um, through vulnerability. Okay? 
In uh, Psalm 141, verse 4, it says, Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. If you read this passage and also look through Proverbs, over and over it talks about discipline, correction, wisdom, rebuke, and it makes it sound like it's such a fluffy and wonderful and nice thing, right? Rebuke. Yay! Okay, but it says that rebuke and discipline and correction, it leads to life. But our own ways lead to death and destruction. And I took these verses very literally when I first moved back to Korea. And I said, okay, like, if if discipline and rebuke lead to life, then I'm going to get as much discipline and rebuke as I can, okay? So I I joined a May stuff. I was very, very zealous and silly sometimes. Still am. And then um, I came to Korea, and I took them so literally. So every time uh, the staff would get together and someone would drop the ball or something would happen, not go as planned, Pastor Aaron, who's the director of Emmaus, would say, I'm going to yell at somebody. Who's responsible for this? I don't even know what she's talking about. And I would say, me. I will take that rebuke. Discipline me, right? Because I thought, oh, man, every time I'm rebuked, I'm going to get anointing. Every time I'm rebuked, I'm going to get life, okay? So I stopped doing that because it's stupid. But then, like, but the, my heart was in a good place, right? I want to keep going. I want to walk towards righteousness, toward purity, through wisdom. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't like getting yelled at. Yeah, I don't like someone telling me that I'm messing up or disciplining me. It sucks. It's very uncomfortable, but it's the path of life. I want that life. I want that wisdom, okay? And so the point is, behind that, we are starting Familias, our Bible studies this week, on Wednesday and Thursday. Some of you have already decided to find something else to do during the exact time of your familia. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can go and listen to some old person tell me about my life, and they don't know me. They don't understand my stuff. They don't know what it's like to be my shoes. Uh, The Western mind tells us all about independence, shepherding ourselves. We know what's best for us. God speaks to me personally. Yes, he does. But he also puts us under leaders, under shepherds, because he wants to impart his wisdom in us. There is life and anointing and power and grace when you let yourself be vulnerable. When you go into familia tomorrow and Thursday, don't go walls up. I'm not going to get anything out of this. I'm going to be hard. Nothing's ever going to change because you're just selling yourself short and you're changing what could be a life-changing experience into something really cheap and a waste of everyone's time, okay? Let yourself get vulnerable and uncomfortable. Let yourself change the attitude of your mind so that you can put on the new self and access the fullness of life that God has for you. Um, You know, the world, it shies away from hardships, from getting uncomfortable, but realize that it is God's provision in your life. Some of you guys have been praying God, give me more faith. God, I want to love you more. God, I want to stop this old habit. God, I want to see your kingdom come. Well, he's doing it. That trial, that mountain, it's a setup for you, and it's an answer to your prayers. It's his provision in your life. But what are you going to do? Are you going to shy away from it, or are you going to embrace it and let him do a miraculous thing in you and through you? The second thing, okay, first thing is don't try to escape being uncomfortable, okay, embrace being uncomfortable, whatever I told you guys the first one was. Number two, fuel your curiosity, okay? How can we be, how can we be made new in the attitude of our minds? Fuel the curiosity inside of you. 
You know, many of us um, know that Sarah Wan, one of our SNU staff. Sarah, you can raise your hand, please. If you don't know her, that's Sarah Wan. Um, she's one of our amazing staff. And many of you know that she recently got into a relationship, okay? And if you don't know, surprise, surprise, now you do. And she, um, hey students, she did it in a holy and Christian way that the Lord has blessed and that her spiritual leaders have completely accepted and blessed. Okay, it is a blessed and happy relationship. God wants you to date and get married, but you must submit it to him, okay? All right, all right. Look at Sarah She is very happy. Follow in her footsteps, all right? Okay, so Swan is very happy, right, Sarah? Very happy. So um, she's dating someone on a May staff, but at an, on a May staff at the KU campus, Cree University, where three campuses, Yonsei Iwa, Seoul National, KU, okay? He's on the KU staff, and his name is Sam. Sam, and um, so I've known Sam for a couple years now. And one of the things I really love about Sam, I really love the Sam-Sarah combo, and one of the things I really love about... <laughs> One of the things I really love about Sam is that um, he never ceases to learn and grow and develop as a person. And he has this gift to be able to pull out the wisdom and the best in others, no matter who it is. Okay, Every single person, he knows how to pull out the wisdom and golden. And an example of this is when I first got to know him, like, I don't know, like a year or two years ago, I was sitting on the subway car with him, and there was this homeless person, and he looked at me and he said, Rona, what do you think about the state of homelessness in Korea? And what do you think are effective ways to minister to homeless people? <laughs> to minister to homeless people? And, and I thought, okay, uh, like, the reason he asked me is because I'm such a mature and godly woman of God. Like, that's why he wants to know, because I know so much, right? So I started to get really proud of myself. And, well, Sam, let me tell you about God's heart for the homeless, okay? And I started to just go off. And um, what I soon began to find out about Sam Yu is that he would even ask me questions about things he actually knew more about, okay? He actually had way more knowledge or experiences than me in a certain area, but before talking all about what he already knew, he would ask me what I thought about it, okay? And I realized he doesn't just do that for me. He asks all people these kind of questions, okay? And whether they're more mature than him or less mature than him, whether they've been walking with the Lord less than him or more than him, whoever it is, the greatest to the least in the sight of man, he would do the same thing. He makes it a point to learn something from everyone. So now, what I do when he asks me those questions is I just say, what do you think about it, Sam? Because usually he knows more than me anyway, right? And I'm like, why are, you, why are you asking me? But the reason he's asking is because he never wants to stop learning. He wants to keep challenging himself. He doesn't think, ah, oh, I know everything there is to know about everything. Let me tell everybody what I know, okay? He's always growing. And one of the first things I look for in people that I intentionally surround myself with or, or students when I intentionally want to sow into them and raise them up as leaders is not people who have swag and confidence, influence, or people who are completely bold in themselves, who are gifted or have the ability for the task at hand. It's whether they are humble, moldable, and hungry to learn. Okay? I surround myself with myself with people like that. I'm only one person. I surround myself with people like that. Because all that other stuff, God gives in an instant, easily. Okay? 
But my litmus test to see leadership potential in, in students and people is, is the person humble enough to listen to other people? Is this person humble enough to admit, admit weaknesses in themselves? Is this person a good listener? Like really listening to what people are saying or just checked out? Uh-huh, right? Or are they really listening? Are they good at pulling out wisdom? Are they good at seeing the best in other people and pulling it out and then learning from it, okay? Are they soft-hearted and desiring to grow, or are they stuck in their ways and their way of thinking? Because if you think, one, that you know everything there is to know about everything, or two, that you could really, um, or that you could never really change, or that three, no one has anything to ever offer or teach you, then you are really limiting and disservicing only yourself, okay? Because God is sending you people intentionally to teach you more about himself. He is sending you carriers of his glory to reveal himself to you, okay? From the weakest to the greatest, the most humble to the most proud, to the baby believer to the aged believer who's been walking with Jesus for 70 years, you don't have to agree and take everything everyone says, but there is something inside them that you can learn from. Okay? Will you humble yourself and learn from other people? Will you hear them out and pull out the wisdom and gold in them? Let yourself be a student, not just in your class, but in the world, in your relationships with people. Let him transform you and mold you and shape you. Stay curious. Okay? Ask questions. Be like Sam Yu. Okay? He, but gentlemen, maybe you'll get a beautiful girlfriend like Sarah Wan one day. Okay? And number three, okay, the last way to change the attitude of your mind and to access this new life, I will explain after seeing this amazing movie clip that Eugene's going to pull up for us. Okay, and forewarning, this may be something that offends you, but I want you to just guard your heart, okay? There is some um, not very pleasant things said in part of this, this video clip, um, but that's not the point I want to highlight to you. So during that part, I want you to just... Zone out, okay? And I apologize in advance. I don't, I, I don't condone, nor do I accept this language or culture, Can, but watch it, and you'll know what I'm talking about. You guys have already seen it, right? Okay, some of you. Pay close attention, not to the whole part. I wanted to watch that clip with you guys because um, the last key and practical step I want to give you to changing the attitude of your minds and putting on your new self is to fall in love. Okay? Whoa. 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 And as your campus director, I'm not saying go watch a bunch of Adam Sandler movies. They're not the most wholesome, but just as Rona, I think he's very funny, and I think this movie was funny. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, though, what's happening right before this scene is Lucy, the main, the main character, she has amnesia. She was hit in a car accident in her head, and she forgets everything that happened the day before. Okay? Every morning she wakes up, she doesn't remember what happened the day before. And what happens is this, this man, Henry, he woos her every single day. Every day she forgets him, and every day... He woos her and, and makes her fall in love with him all over again, okay? So lovely and cheesy. So 
what happens is, um, in this part, they're already married and they have a child together, right? And he, or, he makes this video. And in this video, it's basically what happened to her and then significant memories, their wedding day, and then their life together, all the lovely things he did to woo her to him. So when she leaves the room, um, she kind of was just refreshed. She doesn't have those memories or those experiences, but she's reminded by the video, right? And if you saw the way that she opened up the window and looked at the sea and the sky, even though she had been on that boat for probably a year, she looked at it with fresh eyes, like, what is this? Look at this glorious sky and this ocean right in front of me. Where am I? Such wonder, right? And if you look at the way she picked up her daughter and held her, and, and like, Drew Barrymore's a great actor, she just, like, held her there and just looked at her daughter in the face. And there was such intense love, like... It's like the first time she saw her daughter, right? Could you imagine? And there was such love and depth there, because to her it was like the first time, right? And um, it, was, it was really, really crazy, because everything was so new to her in this video clip. And I remember I rewatched this movie a year ago, sometime like that, and um, when I got to this part in the movie, my heart, I just remember something being stirred, and I remember telling God, Jesus, I want to re-fall in love with you like that. And I know that it's like very superficial to watch this video clip and this movie that's made up about a girl who has amnesia. But the way that she re-falls in love every day, it just spoke to my heart. And I said, God, I want to re-fall in love with you every single day. You know, sometimes we're just like Lucy. We fall asleep and we wake up with spiritual amnesia. We forget everything that God has ever done in our lives, the history we've had with him, the miracles he's shown us, the ways that he has wooed us to him from the day we were born. We forget it all, right? We don't even know that he's good and that he loves us. We forget everything he's done. We've done this Christian thing so long, and we're so used to everything. So bored with it, so bored with our lives, so bored with dead religion, going to a maze, going to church, going to class, the routine of life, that we just start checking out and we have spiritual amnesia. We think, I've seen it all, I've heard it all before. But when Lucy refell in love with her husband and became alive to the world for the first time each morning, I said, God, I want that. Every day, I want to meet you and discover a new reason to love you. Every day, I want to fall madly in love with you. Every day, I want to find a new reason to worship you. Every day, I want to so radically encounter you that I leave my prayer time each morning feeling like I just got saved all over again. Every single day, I want to re-fall in love with you completely and totally, recklessly in love with you, God. You know, it says in Revelation that there are elders, right? And day and night they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they cast down their crowns and they worship him and say, God, you are holy. Holy meaning other, different, set apart, holy, right? God, you are beautiful. They offer him worship day and night. And then it says they look up again and they see a new attribute of God. God is never changing, but there's always so much more to see and know of him. And so from eternity past to the future, these elders have been worshiping him and finding new things to worship and love about God every moment. And they say, holy, 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 right? And I said, God, I want that. 
we will never discover all there is to know about God. We will never discover and understand what Jesus did on the cross, what his grace and his love, the depths of it, what it really means. And we could sit down and think about it for the rest of our lives and still never really grasp it. It's that crazy, okay? Being a Christian and walking with Jesus never gets old. I visited my aunt for Chusak, and um, my cousin has a new baby named Tehi. He's like 20 months now, and he's running around, and we're playing in the little playground, and there's two identical seesaws, okay? And, and he's like, like, emo, emo, and then, and so like, we're on the seesaw, and then he's like, two times on the seesaw, and then he gets off, right? And then he goes to the seesaw a foot away, and he's like, I went on this one, and then he seesaws two times and gets off. And then he goes to the other one he just got off of, and he seesaws two times and he gets off. And he did it, like, so many times, and he kept going back and forth, and I was like, Tehi, like, it's the same seesaw, you know, like, why do you keep doing it? It's the same seesaw. This one is the same as this one, and this one is still the same that you just wore before you wore this one. Like, why do we keep riding this? I'm so bored with this game. But he was so happy. He kept riding it, getting off, and wanting to do it again. And every time he rode it, it was like he did it for the first time. And he would just squeal in delight. And he was so happy, like he could never want anything else in the world. And I wondered, how can this kid be so excited about it, right? And um, this book right here, his name is G.K. Chesterton. It's one of my favorite books. Um, it's called Orthodoxy. And he basically just talks about how he searched his whole life for something radical and cutting edge and fresh to believe in, but how at the end of his life, he found that it was all in Orthodox Christian faith. And he said, every day there's no reason why we shouldn't marvel that God made the sun rise again. Every single day, it's not like, um, what if it's not just God created all the daisies of the field, but every single one of them, he did, and he said, Man, I never get sick of this, right? He says that when you age and because of sin we get dull, we get bored, and we get tired. But our God is a God full of life. And our God is a God who never ceases to tire of doing the amazing things, right? Of, of being a part of those miraculous things we see around us. And after I read that, I remember waking up the next morning and just thanking God, you know? Man, thank you, God, that I'm alive today. Thank you, God, that I can move my legs this morning. Thank you, God, that I can smell coffee and taste things. Thank you, God, that, that, that my roommates and I can talk and connect, that our hearts are, are like one, that we're in relationship. I walk outside and I see the sky is blue. Again, God, you did it again. You did it again. The sky is still blue today. Whoa, okay. The sky could have been any other color, or maybe he could have just forgotten to make it blue that day, but it's still blue, okay? And there are clouds and sunshine and flowers. There's no reason why we should get bored and tired of doing this life with God thing. Life in God is a miracle. It never gets old. G.K. Chesterton also said, There is no such thing on earth as an uninteresting subject. The only thing that can exist is an uninterested person. Okay? There's no such thing as an uninteresting subject. The only thing that can exist is an uninterested person. Okay? There is a life of miraculous things happening all around you, and there is a God who is speaking to you. It says his thoughts toward you are innumerable and immeasurable. Are you aware? Are you perceptive? Are you aware of what he's doing all around you each moment? 
You see, when you fall in love, the world, it comes alive again. Things that were gray and shady and dark become full of life and color. And when you fall recklessly in love with this man, Jesus, everything becomes new in him. And life never looks the same. Not just one time during an amazed retreat in 2008, but every day. Every day is meant to be a miracle. Every day is increasing glory. We're running out of time. Okay? And I remember this message is something that God's been speaking to me for a while. And about a year ago, God really just began to pour out his spirit in my heart. And I began to say, God, I don't ever want to get sick of this. I don't ever want to be okay with the status quo. I don't ever want this to just be a me being on fire for a couple years thing and it running out. I want to fall more in love with you every year. And God began to answer that prayer request of mine. And I remember one day I was walking from my house to the Itaewon station through this ghetto area called Bowangdong, full of pollution. And nothing really pretty there. I looked at my feet and there was like this like maroon and gray sidewalk with pebbles. And it was so beautiful. And I was like, how has the sidewalk been this beautiful? And I never noticed it before. How? It's like so colorful. I took a picture of it, right? Then I looked at the street, and there was like a dip in the street, and a little puddle had formed from the rainwater. And the the street, the puddle perfectly reflected the clouds and the sky. And I I looked closely, and um, there was a rainbow reflected in that puddle because it had just rained. And I was like, man, God... I can't even see your promises of your goodness in puddles on the street, you know? And I just, I was about to cry, Jesus, you're so good to me, right? And I was like, man, God, you are romancing me in every area. Everywhere I I turn, I can see your love and your goodness, okay? Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. The point is, pursue God, guys, from the start of this semester with all of you. Go after him and ask him to reveal himself to you, to reveal the depths of his grace and his love to you. Ask him to reveal what the cross really means. Search the scripture and realize that the God of the Bible is not some distant God, but he is intricately and intimately involved in your life. The love relationship with Jesus that he has offered us through the cross is the greatest adventure you can ever embark on. There's no such thing as an uninteresting subject, only uninterested people. And if you're bored with this love relationship thing, it's time to renew the attitude of our minds. The last scripture I want to point to before I close is 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 2, and I'll just read it for you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And my message tonight is simple. I wanted to share stories and examples with you because I wanted to bring something that you guys hadn't heard before. And I want you guys to think about this in a way that you haven't before. Don't cap yourself and sell yourself short. We know what we are. I know what I am. I know what this Christian thing is, right? 
You have no idea what he has in store for you. Don't limit yourself because you've always been a certain way and you've never been able to overcome it before. The thing is, you're never going to really arrive at that destination. Every day there's a new thing God wants to show you, challenge you with, and teach you. We are all still on our way, and God is transforming us into the likeness of his son. And one day we're going to be in such oneness with him that we're going to be like him. We're going to become like the one that we've been beholding, right? And so tonight I just want to close in prayer. Please stand to your feet, and I want you to just hold your arms out in front of you like we did during prayer time. And I want you to receive this prayer as your own.